Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bones of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The baron has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. May God help us to listen to his word. Thanks, Ajit, for reading scripture for us. And a very good morning. Happy New Year on the second day of 2022. Uh, before we jump into our sermon for this morning, uh, just a quick update. Uh, as some of you know, we've been searching for a pastor for family ministries for quite a number of months now. And I'm glad to announce that the pastoral search team has shortlisted a candidate. And the elders are happy to uh, have him as our candidate for the role of family pastor. Uh, so his name is Mark Collins. Uh, some of you may know, may have heard him teach. He did teach an equip session for us last year uh, on discipling. I think some of you have, been, have benefited from his teaching. So I'm glad that Mark will be, we've invited Mark to preach for us here uh, in the second half of January. So he'll be here with us for two weekends on January, 5th, the weekend of January 15th and the weekend of January 22nd, uh, preaching for us here. And we, we have a chance to get to know him hear him teach in person, and also meet him in person. So he's a candidate. We haven't made a decision. So this is part of the search process. So Lord willing, after his visit, we'll be in a better place to make a decision to possibly call him as uh, a family pastor to serve among the team of elders here. So do be in prayer for this process. 
uh, pray that we will have wisdom and discernment as a church as we assess him, as we get to know him, as we sit under uh, his preaching during those two weekends. Uh, one thanksgiving is that his travel, and his travel arrangements and applications have been approved by the authorities, so we're glad that he's able to be with us during that time and to minister to us uh, over those two weekends. So do con continue to be in prayer for this whole process. Uh, do join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive from God's Word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you. You are indeed good to us, and you are a great God. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, you would open our hearts by your spirit, that you would make our hearts soft, uh, give us ears to hear, give us hands that are quick to do your will. Father, we pray that you would teach us what it means to pray, what it means to praise and adore you, so that as we uh, begin this new year, we would begin looking to you as our great God, as a God in whom we trust. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, what did you do on the first day of 2022? You know, so my family and I, we, it, it's, it's quite customary for us to sit around with our boys and talk about the past year, as well as talk about our goals for the new year. So yesterday, uh, over a kind of like a late breakfast, we looked at some photographs of 2021, Many of those photographs were taken at home. <laughs> I guess you know why. Uh, and then we talked about some of the goals and activities that we want to do in 2022. You know, I think for many of us, a new year brings a sense of anticipation, a sense of expectation as we ready ourselves to make a fresh start. You know, maybe some of us have already made resolutions. Maybe some of us have already broken resolutions. <laughs> you know, some of us may plan to eat healthier, to exercise more, uh, perhaps we have resolutions about our spiritual disciplines, you know, to read the Bible more regularly, uh, to strengthen our prayer life. Uh, you know, a, new, a new year can also bring a sense of anxiety. Uh, after the ups and downs of last year, you know, this year may just be as tumultuous and unpredictable as 2021. I, I think there's uh, something going around now that, that says you know, we need to manage our expectations about 2022. It might just be like 2020. Now, given that we're still living through a pandemic, you know, who knows what this year will bring. But one thing is certain, this year, like all previous years, will test our faith. And this year, like all previous years, will expose the foundations of our hope. So it's good to start out with these questions as we begin this new year, to ask ourselves what is the source of our confidence and strength. To be honest with ourselves and to be honest with ourselves before God and to ask ourselves, what are we trusting in? So to help us start the year on the right foot, we'll be going through a four-part sermon series on prayer beginning today. You know, simply defined, prayer is talking to God. But why should we talk to Him? And how should we talk to Him? Right, the reason why we talk to God is because He has first spoken to us. Right? He's revealed to us in His Word that He is good and He's great. And therefore, because of what we know of God from His Word, we can go to Him and talk to Him. But how should we talk to Him? And again, His Word tells us how we should approach Him. His Word tells us that prayer gives voice to our trust in Him. And this 
question about how we should talk to God is not a new one. In fact, Jesus' disciples themselves asked Jesus how they should pray. They asked Him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus replied with these famous words that have come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. And He said to His disciples, pray like this, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your, or rather, this is not Matthew's version. So Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So the Lord's Prayer is not given to us to sort of thoughtlessly and mechanically recite, but rather this prayer is a framework, a model for us to follow, not not to just kind of mouth the words thoughtlessly, but, but to follow, to think about what Jesus is asking for and to model our prayer requests after His. Right, so in this prayer, there are four key aspects that Jesus highlights that we should also have in our prayers. Number one, there's adoration. Father, hallowed be your name. And that starts out the prayer. Jesus begins with adoration. There is confession, a humble acknowledgement of sin, where he says, forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. It's a humble acknowledgement that we cannot be holy. We can't obey without God's help. And we need His help to turn away from our sins and to follow Him in holiness. There is thanksgiving and supplication as well. Jesus says, pray that God's kingdom will come. Pray that He will give us each day, each day, our daily bread. This prayer speaks of a daily dependence on God. And as God provides, we thank Him for His gracious provision. So these are the four key aspects of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, acts. So so we're going to spend some time over the next four weeks thinking about the acts framework for prayer. And I I pray that as we go through this as a church, our individual prayer lives will be strengthened, uh, that our life together as, as as a church, that we in our corporate prayers would also be strengthened as we pray in this way. So we've prepared a prayer devotional for us to use as we follow along with this series. There's a QR code. If you scan that QR code, you can download that devotional. It contains 24 entries written by various GBC members. So I'm really grateful for those who have contributed to this devotional. Uh, just devotionals on different passages of Scripture to help us to think what it means to adore God in our prayers, to confess sin, to thank Him, and to ask of Him, right, to supplicate as we come before Him. So do download that devotional and just follow along uh, these four weeks as we go through this sermon series. Use it on your own. Use it with your families during your family devotions. It's a wonderful way to maybe reset our hearts as we start a new year. And another thing that we want to do moving forward is to better reflect these aspects of prayer in our services as well, right? To ensure that in our services, in our corporate prayer, we are praising God, we are confessing our sins, we are thanking Him, and we are asking of Him, right? And to reflect these four aspects in our corporate services as well. And may God help us to grow in our confidence in Him as we learn what it means to pray in this way. So today we'll start off with A. A is for adoration and we'll be looking at 1 Samuel 2 verses 1 to 10 to learn how we can praise and adore God. So just a bit of context before we jump into the passage proper. (coughs) Uh, This is the prayer of Hannah, wife of Elkanah. 
Uh, 1 Samuel 1 verse 2 tells us more about Elkanah. So he had two wives, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So Hannah was childless. She couldn't conceive. And you can imagine in that culture, being childless is not a good thing. Uh, But Elkanah loved Hannah, despite her barrenness. However, she was grieved by the other wife. She was grieved by Penina, who kept mocking her for her childlessness. And and Hannah, in her deep distress, in her trouble of heart, she poured out her soul before God, and she prayed for a son. And the Lord, in His grace and mercy, remembered Hannah, and this is what chapter 1, verse 20 says, In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. Samuel it sounds like the Hebrew for heard of God. So God heard Hannah's prayer and blessed her with a child. And then Hannah said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Right? So God graciously answers Hannah's request. And Hannah's son Samuel, as we read on in the book of 1 Samuel, will grow up to play a crucial role in Israel's history as both prophet and priest. But the focus of our passage today is really Hannah's prayer, her prayer of praise. And may her prayer of praise teach us what it means to praise God in our prayers. So three points as we work through these verses. Number one, we praise God for who He is. We praise God for His works and ways. and We praise God for His King. So three points as we work through our way through the passage. So number one, we praise God for who He is, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Note that Hannah's prayer begins on a personal note. Notice the repeated use of first-person pronouns as Hannah begins. In verse 1, she says, My heart, my horn, my mouth, my enemies, I rejoice. So when we praise God, we're not merely academically kind of speaking to Him. You know, we're not merely sort of affirming theological truths about Him in an intellectual way, right? but rather praising God is a very personal thing. Right? If we really want to praise God, then we need to pray that He will first change our hearts. Because praising God flows from a heart that has personally experienced the goodness of God. You know, praising God flows from a heart that truly knows God. Not, not merely knows a lot about Him in an academic or intellectual sense, but praise fl- flows from a heart that has been gripped by God's goodness, His grace, and His greatness, so that it becomes natural to praise Him right? because we know Him, and we've experienced Him. Right? That's where we begin. We, we pray that God will really meet us and change us from the inside out. Then praise becomes the natural expression of a child of God. I think we understand this, right? If, if you have a child, you, know, you, you don't have to kind of instruct this child in that sense to, to love you, right? Because when a child is born and the child knows the parent, the child will naturally love the parent, right? It, it, it's a product of this natural relationship that the child enjoys. And in the same way, if we know God, if He's our Father, we will praise Him. And I think Hannah had this relationship with God. So as much as Hannah delights in her son Samuel, her praise 
focuses on God the giver, not on the gifts that he bestows. And I think it's interesting that in, in her prayer, Hannah doesn't mention her son. I think that's quite remarkable, given how amazing God's provision has been. And yet her prayer focuses on God the giver. Now, Christmas is just over, and maybe you've received some gifts from your loved ones. And some of these gifts may be really simple, very ordinary. It could, just even, be, could even be just a card that someone has written to you. No, but because of the person whom you love and whom you know who has written to you, you, know, you, you treat that card with a lot of care. You, know, you cherish that card, as simple as the card is. You know, as in the world's eyes, the card, the, the card doesn't, isn't worth a lot. It's not precious inherently. But you treat the card with lots of care and you cherish it because of the person who gives you that card. And in the same way, Hannah cherishes God. Right? She loves Him, she knows Him, and so her focus is not on Samuel per se, but her focus is on the giver of the gifts. And that's where praise begins. We praise the giver, not on the nice things that he gives us, as nice as those things may be. You know, Hannah's heart exalts in the Lord, not in Samuel, but in the Lord. He alone is her joy and strength and salvation. So we praise God first and foremost because of who He is in Himself. Right? He, in His person, in His attributes, in His perfections, He alone, in and of Himself, regardless of what He gives us, is worthy of praise. Not because of our circumstances. Right? So when we praise God, we look beyond our present circumstances. Our circumstances may be good or our circumstances may be bad, but God doesn't change. He's the same, doesn't change. His perfections are ever the same. And so we can still praise Him, even if our life is difficult. Now, as we heard from the prophet Habakkuk last year, Habakkuk says this, right? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd, in the stalls, yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And it's the secret to happiness, isn't it? It's the secret to happiness. It's a happiness that doesn't depend ultimately on our circumstances, but depends solely on God. And if God doesn't change, neither should our joy, because we rejoice in Him. Hannah praises God by highlighting several of his attributes. Right? He's the Lord. Right? She, she uses that covenantal name, the all caps Lord, L-O-R-D. He's the God who first draws near to us in steadfast love and in faithfulness. Right? So again, we, we can praise him because he first makes himself known to us. We can know him because he's graciously revealed himself to us. And he's the personal God who saves us and gathers us to himself into a covenant relationship marked by His faithfulness. So He's a God who draws near, but He's also a God who is transcendent. He's also a God who is high and lifted up. Right? Hannah goes on to say how He is holy. God is holy. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. He is incomparable. He's utterly unique. There is no one like Him. He's set apart from the rest of His creation. 
So as we come to Him, we are conscious of the fact that we come to Him as creatures to a Creator. And this Creator is perfectly pure and supremely glorious. And He has made the whole universe from Him, through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. This holy God is also all-powerful. Right? Hannah in verse 2 says, There is no rock like our God. And she may be echoing Moses' song of praise in Deuteronomy 32, where Moses says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So this rock, he's all-powerful, and therefore he can be our refuge and our strength. And that's why we can still praise Him, even when our times are difficult, even when our life is tough. Because He, not our circumstances, He is our protection and our security. Our safety is found in Him, in Him alone. And therefore, He alone is worthy of all our worship and trust. So what a comfort to know this at the start of a new year. Who knows what this new year will bring? Good times, bad times, loss, sorrow, grief, joy. Now, who knows what this new year will bring, but God is our refuge and our strength through all the ups and downs of 2022. And this God knows, right? This God knows us inside out. This God knows the end from the beginning. So that's what Hannah says in the next part of the verse, verse 3. The Lord is a God of knowledge. He knows all things because He is sovereign over all things. Nothing is hidden from His sight. This God controls all of history. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly when this pandemic will end. He knows exactly when our lives will come to an end. He holds all things in His hands. So He knows the big things in life, but He also knows the deepest, smallest, intimate details of our lives. He searches our hearts and minds. Beloved, He knows our joys and our sorrows. He knows our desires and our fears. It's such a wonderful invitation for us to come to Him, to know that He understands. We don't have to explain ourselves to God because He understands. He knows us inside out. And we can bring our request to Him. We can pour out our soul to Him. We can lay bare our hearts before Him because He knows us. He's the God of all knowledge. As the Lord says to Samuel later on in 1 Samuel, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And because God is all-knowing, He is a just judge. Hannah says in verse 3, by Him actions are weighed. He holds all things, He weighs all things in the balance. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to Him, to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Therefore, God can rightly evaluate our lives and our deeds. As the psalmist tells us in Psalm 9, the Lord judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. You know, and, and this truth about God is tremendously encouraging to Hannah because in her, in her situation, she was suffering unjustly at the hands of Penina, 
who taunted her with her cutting words, taunting her every day about her childlessness. But Hannah recognized that the Lord is a righteous judge who will vindicate His people. So Hannah realizes that she doesn't need to take things into her own hands. She doesn't need to retaliate against Penina, but she can entrust herself to a just and faithful God. Similarly, we can trust God when we suffer unjustly. This year may bring suffering for some of us, maybe suffering at the hands of an unreasonable boss who treats us unjustly, maybe suffering at the hands even of a family member who is unreasonable, maybe suffering at the hands of a friend who turns on us. But Hannah's prayer reminds us that God knows all things and He is a just judge. And as we heard from 1 Peter, we can entrust ourselves to a faithful God who judges justly. We can rest in Him even though we may suffer unjustly. So this is how Hannah's prayer begins, by praising God for who He is. And then in verses 4 to 8, and this is our second point, Hannah begins to praise God for His works and His ways. So God, because you are like this, therefore you work like this, and then I praise you for what you do and for how you work. So Hannah praises God for how He works in His world. And in verses 4 to 8, her prayer highlights how God works in surprising and unexpected ways that confound human wisdom and might. You know, if you look at these verses, there's a series of reversals that run through these verses. You know, that, that, there are unexpected things that are happening in these verses, things that we don't expect. Because in our, in our worldly wisdom, right, in, in our common sense, we think that the world works in this way. But God doesn't work according to the way we think. He works in His own ways. And God glorifies Himself by bringing to nothing what is wise and strong in the world. So verse 4 begins by telling us how human might and power will come to nothing. For God can make the weak strong. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Unexpected. We think the the strong and mighty will win the day. But God says, ah, no, the feeble will bind on strength. Now, we think worldly prosperity is a good thing, but God says worldly prosperity will not last. For God provides for those who have nothing in this world. Verse 5, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, left with nothing, then poverty. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And then the next part of the verse, I think Hannah experienced this personally. The barren has born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Penina despised Hannah for her barrenness, but God turned Hannah's shame to honor by granting her a child. Now, we try to cling on to life in this world. We think that this life is all that there is, so we grip on very tightly. But Hannah's prayer reminds us of God's power over life and death. It doesn't depend ultimately on my diet. It doesn't depend ultimately on exercise. It depends ultimately on the sovereign God who gives and takes away. Blessed be His glorious name. Right, verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. 
He brings down to Sheol the grave and He raises up. My friends, do we really believe that? That this is the God who has life and death in His hands and we can trust Him. If He, if he sees fit to call us home, He will call us home at the right time. Whoever holds on to life in this world will lose it. But whoever is willing to give his life to this God will gain it. And Hannah's prayer also tells us that earthly wealth and status will not endure. Verse 7 to 8, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. Right? So unexpected, so surprising in the way God works. You know, if you think about these verses, verses 4 to 8, you know, does it remind you of a New Testament passage? These verses sound a lot like the Old Testament version of the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, if, you, if you think about the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes describe the up, upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Right? We think the kingdom of God is a certain way, but Jesus comes and just demolishes all our preconceived notions about what God's kingdom should be like. God's kingdom is very upside down. Right? It, it changes our expectations altogether. Right? Because listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, right? not the powerful, not the high status somebodies in this world, but blessed are the nobodies. You know, in, in Jesus' time, it was not good to be meek. Right? It's not good to be gentle, lowly, and humble. It was seen as a sign of failure, as, as you're, just a, you're just a servant. That's why you're meek. Right? The rich and powerful did not want to be meek. They wanted to be rich and powerful. But Jesus turns our expectations about the way God works upside down. He says, blessed are the meek, the gentle, the lowly, the humble, and the nobodies in this world, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who have nothing in this life, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are not self-sufficient, those who are not religious, who, who recognize that they need Righteousness to be given to them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So that's the New Testament counterpart to Hannah's prayer. And this is how God works. These reversals reveal that God's ways are different from ours. God surprises us by using the weak, the needy, the barren, the poor, and the lowly to accomplish His purposes. He doesn't use us because we are successful. He doesn't use us because we are accomplished. He doesn't use us because of all of our qualifications. He uses us so that all the glory may go to Him and none to us. As God says through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, Hannah's expressing this 
in her prayer. These verses tell us that God is God and we are not. We are not. He is the sovereign creator who establishes the world and sustains all things. Verse 8, the pillars on the earth are the Lord's and on them He has set the world. This world works according to what God wills, not according to our plans and agendas. So this is a wonderful invitation for us at the beginning of 2022 as we hear these verses about God to submit to Him, to humble ourselves before Him and say, God, you are in control. You you know all that's happening in 2022 and may you have your way with us. Not according to our agendas and plans, but according to your will. May we submit our plans and desires to Him. May we praise Him by acknowledging that His ways and His works are always wise and good, even if we don't always understand them. And you know, if you think about it, why should we, why should we think that we'll always understand God's ways? Right? If, if we truly believe that He is high and lifted up, that He's the sovereign God, then I don't think we can pretend to always understand His ways. But we can trust Him because we know what He's like. And that's why the, the, the hymn writer says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, we, He hides a smiling face. So Hannah's prayer puts us in our place. Right? These reversals that Hannah speaks of in verses 4 to 8 reveal the limits of human might and means. These reversals remind us that our security in 2022 and beyond doesn't depend on our success in this world. The Lord in this prayer demolishes our pretensions to power and control. Do we pretend as if we are in control? Well, the Lord comes and He demolishes every single one of those pretensions. And he alone says that I am great and I am good, so trust me. Trust me. So this prayer encourages us to forsake self-sufficiency, to turn away from self-dependence, to repent of self-centeredness, to repent of the pride that makes us think that we are in control of our own destinies. This prayer encourages us to bring our fears and our anxieties to God. Praising God humbles us. You know, that, that's why it's a good thing to praise Him. Well, it, it gives Him glory. You know, all the glory belongs to Him and not to us because we don't do anything. Right? It's, it's all Him. So praising God gives Him glory. But praising God is also good for our souls because praising God reminds us that we are dependent on Him. Praising God helps to humble us constantly by pointing to us God's greatness and showing us our need for Him. Praising God strengthens our trust in Him. So before we you know, bring our laundry list of requests to God in our prayers, pause right, and think, God, how can I praise You? And as I praise You, I, I come to know You more and more. And as I know You more and more, I trust You. And then I can bring my request to You because I know who You are. I know how You work. So praising God humbles us and helps us to trust in Him. Finally, we praise God for His King. Verses 9 to 10 of Hannah's prayer. 
So Hannah couldn't conceive, and she asked God for a child, and He gave her a son. Now, the birth of a child to a formerly barren woman is a wonderful thing, right? It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But if we think about Hannah's prayer and her circumstances, there seems to be a mismatch. You realize that there seems to be a mismatch between her circumstances, wonderful, but maybe somewhat ordinary still, and the exalted content of her prayer. Maybe you've noticed how Hannah's prayer is much bigger and broader than her circumstances. For example, look at verse 1. Hannah says, I rejoice in your salvation. Really, Hannah? Really? You know, yes, you know, I know that you're happy because you have a child, right? God's blessed you with a son. But to, to call him salvation, come on, you know, isn't that an exaggeration? Hyperbole, maybe? Isn't it an overstatement for Hannah to call the birth of Samuel salvation? Right? I think if we have a child, we wouldn't call our child like salvation, right? It seems like a Massive overstatement. So what's going on here? What's going on in Hannah's prayer? Is she right to say that? I think Hannah's prayer shows us that she understands that there's more going on than the birth of her child, as as wonderful as that is. You know, all this took place, a bit of historical context, all this took place in the time of the judges. And if if you read the Old Testament, you would realize that the time of the judges in the Old Testament is a particularly dark chapter in Israel's history. And what was the problem? There was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right? So not a good time in Israel's history. And Hannah was a woman of faith. And her request for a child was not motivated by a desire for self-fulfillment. I think it's so important for us to realize that she's not praying for a child so that she can one-up Penina. It kind of turn around to Penina and say, hey, I told you so. Right? So that's not Hannah's intention in asking for a child. It wasn't for her own self-satisfaction, her own sort of fulfillment as a mother, as a wife. No, no, not, not that at all. Her request for a child was fundamentally motivated by a desire for God's glory and the good of His people. Hannah's example is a wonderful one of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Therefore, Hannah's prayer closes by praising God for his victorious king. Notice in verses 9 to 10, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Right? The word anointed, literally, Messiah. Right? That, that's the Hebrew word that we translate anointed. He will give strength to his king. He will exalt the horn of his Messiah. You know, what's amazing about Hannah's prayer, if you look at the historical context where it occurs, is that Israel had no king. Israel had no king at this time. Right? Remember, we're still in the time of the judges. So who on earth is Hannah talking about? And then we realize Hannah's prayer is a prophecy. She's speaking prophetically. She's looking forward by faith to what God will do to save His people. And and that's how we understand Hannah's request for a son 
she sees that the giving of the Son is a part of God's bigger plan to bring salvation to His people. It's not a selfish request. It's seeking first the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's why Hannah is such a wonderful example of a woman of faith to us. So she's looking forward by faith to what God will do. In fact, Hannah's barrenness parallels Israel's fruitlessness and shame. So there are parallels between Hannah's experience and what Israel is going through at this time. So Samuel's birth is a foretaste. Hannah understands his birth as a foretaste of God's salvation. And if we read on the rest of 1 Samuel, you see that Hannah was right. Because what will Samuel do? Samuel is, is a prophet and priest, and he will go on to play a key part in God's plan to save his people. Indeed, Samuel will be the one who anoints David as king. Through Samuel, God will raise up a king for his people, and Hannah understood that even at this point. Her prayer is a prayer of faith in God's salvation. She understands that that's what matters. It's not simply the birth of a child, but what really matters is that God will save. That's what really matters. That's why we praise Him, regardless of what He gives us in our circumstances. And this king, King David, will rule his people with justice and grace. God's people will finally be ruled by a king after God's own heart. And this king will save God's people from his enemies. And in fact, if you read the rest of 1 Samuel, you see how this salvation comes in unexpected ways. Right? Exactly as, as what Hannah prays, right? God works in unexpected ways. He chooses not the strong and the mighty, but He chooses what is weak and despised in the world so that all the glory goes to Him, right? God gives a barren woman a child, unexpected. The youngest son is anointed king. Even his father doesn't believe it. Right? Are you sure? David, really? <laughs> he uses David, a weak youth at that time, to bring to nothing the strong Goliath. Isn't it wonderful the way God works in 1 Samuel? Not through the strong, not through the mighty, not through the accomplished and successful in this world, but through the weak and despised. And Hannah praises God for that. Praising God broadens our horizons and helps us to see beyond our circumstances. We praise God who is accomplishing His salvation plan in the world. We pray, when we praise God, God reorientates our agendas to His will. When we praise God, it refocuses us on God's glory and the good of His people, not just on our circumstances. Praising God encourages us to seek God's King and His kingdom first. You know, Hannah's prayer foreshadows the prayer of another woman in Scripture who also experienced the miraculous birth of a son. And in her case, in, this, in the case of this second woman who comes later, the birth of her son was even more miraculous. And this woman, Mary, said in Luke's Gospel, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
Mary prayed for sending a king. Mary praised God for how God sent His Son to seek and to save the lost. So Hannah's prayer looks forward in time to David and then past David to the coming of, of an even greater king. And Mary's prayer in the New Testament picks up on Hannah's prayer and praises God for the coming of the true king, Jesus, who comes in unexpected ways. We praise God for Jesus. We praise God for the king. He is the Christ, God's Messiah, God's anointed king, who has come to save us from our enemies, our enemies that we were powerless to defeat, our enemies of sin and death. And this king saves us in a surprising way, in an unexpected way. This king did not come in worldly glory. He didn't come in a fancy palace. He didn't come full of worldly pomp and splendor and power. This king confounds worldly expectations. This king came humbly. He came as a servant in apparent weakness. This king is gentle and lowly and meek. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life to save undeserving sinners like us. This king wins by losing, right? He wins by, he conquers by dying. So unexpected. So, so, un, so unlike what we would expect in this world. This king saves through a dramatic reversal. This is the greatest reversal in Scripture, that he saves by dying, and God raised him up from the dead so that all glory would go to God alone. And God exalted this king to rule in glory forever. So this king saves us in spite of ourselves. Right? We, we come empty-handed. He, he invites us to trust him so that our sins can be forgiven. We come not because we are righteous. We come not because we are deserving but we come and receive freely from Him. So friend, if you do not know this King, I invite you to come to Him. And He invites you to come not because you are moral, not because you are religious, not because you come to church regularly, not because you come from a really good upbringing. He invites you to come as you are and to receive from Him life that He has won for you if you trust in Him. He invites you to come with your sin and to be forgiven because of what He has done. You know, this King Jesus has saved us to be a people of praise. That's why we praise Him, because we've experienced the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. So will we pray with godly Hannah these words, My heart exalts in the Lord, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is no rock like our God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we humble ourselves as we come before you. We acknowledge that we are nothing. You are a great and sovereign God and we are merely creatures in your sight. But Father, we marvel that you should love us, that you should pay any attention to us. We thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you are the God who doesn't work according to our ways, but you are the God who works according to your plan and purposes. And your plan and purposes 
are inherently, eternally good. So Father, as we come to you, we pray that you would humble us. We pray that you would help us to see that we depend on you, that we come empty-handed, and there's nothing for us to boast in but you. So Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts to you, help us to see the glory of Christ, help us to see our need for him, and help us to trust him, to depend on him. And as we come to Jesus, help us also to praise you for your goodness and your grace to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.